This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and by Seb Stafford-Bloor of Football 365. Forget panic buying toilet rolls. They've run out of red flares on Merseyside. The greeting for Atletico Madrid's players at Anfield will be long, loud and colourful. The match itself will be football recast as theatre. It's what the Champions League is all about. Win on Wednesday and Liverpool could win the lot. Couldn't they, eh? <laughs> well, I do think they are the best team in Europe. So in that theory, then, yeah, get themselves through here. And I personally would make them favourites to retain the Champions League. We know they're going to win the Premier League. So, yeah, what a, what a double that would, would be. But I do feel it's a huge if in terms of them progressing from this tie because obviously the lack of the away goal is huge. I think Atletico are the type of side that can defend an advantage better than most. It is set up absolutely beautifully for a glorious night underneath the lights at Anfield. And, and I have to say, as, as, I, as I sit here and you just asked me, are they the best team in Europe? Yes, they are. I still kind of have a, have a hunch that Atletico might, might be the team that prevails here. Mm. When we talk about Anfield, great nights, 12th man, is that romance or is that reality? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's become self-perpetuating over the years. I think what Anfield is on nights like Wednesday will be led by the performance. One of the interesting things about Atletico in the first leg was not necessarily how they played, but how they got under Liverpool's skin. Uh, And their crowd was a big part of that. But also you could see the way that the Liverpool players had been needled by that. So I just wonder whether... Obviously, Liverpool have the quality to go through and go through quite comfortably because Atletico are not technically what they were, certainly not defensively. But you wonder whether there's going to be a little bit too much of a revenge dynamic in the air. I don't know. I'm I'm really interested. I can't wait to see the game. Yeah, I think Atletico will come out of the blocks fast here. I don't think they're going to park on the edge of the box right from the word go. They need a goal. They They need a goal. They want to score. Liverpool in recent weeks have been been slow starters. And, And look, they score here. And Liverpool need three, and against the Simeone side, that that's really tough. 
to achieve, isn't it? That's so, a lonely place to be. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it is so nicely poised. And I just think Liverpool fans are well aware, as brilliant as, as their team is, that you know, their heroes aren't in top shape at the moment, and that's a problem. But you can expect the intensity level to really ramp up. Although they got through the game against Bournemouth on Saturday, it was bit of an insipid effort, really. But basically, occasions like this take care of themselves, don't they? Well, absolutely. I mean, the thing with Bournemouth is it's a Premier League game and a Premier League season which has already been decided from Liverpool's point of view. I know they're not over the line yet, but they will be within a week or two. Wednesday night is a completely different kettle of fish. It's a... It almost actually... It might almost be an outlet because Liverpool... That crowd at the moment seems like it's waiting to celebrate. It's waiting for the catharsis of finally ending this, this wait for a, a Premier League win. And it's pretty hard to channel that through an edgy 2-1 win over Bournemouth with the greatest respect to Eddie Howe and his players. Wednesday night, not so much, because that is an occasion. And Anfield being what it is, they'll want to replicate what, what happened in the first leg. And the wonder is not quite the Calderon, but it was as close as it's been since it opened to that old atmosphere. And so, so, yeah, can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. What about areas of concern for Liverpool aid? Defence? Yeah, I mean, you look at... If you analyse the goals that Liverpool have conceded this season, a lot of through balls. There have been gaps between centre-halves. Now, Gomez has been excellent alongside Van Dijk. We know that. But but we've seen of late one or two changes in terms of team selection from Jurgen Klopp. Their rhythm seems to have been affected. We've seen Robertson drop out of games, Alexander-Arnold as well. So they're not as fine-tuned as they were. I definitely think there is a, a vulnerability there on transitions you can slip runners in with the early pass and, and that's where I think Atletico will target. We saw in the first leg defending corners as well. That's been a problem for Liverpool of late. They had been very, very good at handling set plays until recent weeks. So, so yeah, there are one or two reasons, I think, for Atletico to, to feel optimistic. The biggest, of course, is the keeper. Mm. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest, Adrian is not a patch on Alisson. And that may cause a little bit of hesitancy at the back. I, I genuinely feel to progress here, Liverpool will need to score three. Mm. And when you've got, OK, Salah scoring for fun again, third season with 20 goals. Mane is, is doing likewise. Firmino mm. still hasn't scored at Anfield mm -hmm. this season. That's some weird anomaly, isn't it? <laughs> You know, what really, what really summed it up, Mike, was a chance he missed at the end of Saturday's game where it was, I don't want to throw any, any former Premier League forwards under the bus, but it, it didn't look like Roberto Firmino finishing a chance. He was leaning back. It's what I might do, given that opportunity. <laughs> I don't, I, it's obviously a psychological problem. Look, I, I don't actually think it's a problem for Firmino not to score goals because I, I think his worth as a player is more than that. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but in terms of what his movement and what his ideas and what his, what he facilitates within the other two, I think that's really what matters. If Liverpool need a crucial goal, it's going to come from Manny, it's going to come from Salah, it might come from midfield. So it's a weird one. It's a very, very strange sequence given the talent of the player. And I, I don't know, I'm not really smart enough to explain it. It is hard to explain. Yeah. I, I looked at his conversion rate, 12.7% in the Premier League. That's poor. It really is from a Premier League marksman. Yeah. And if you're looking beyond this season and you're in Jurgen Klopp's shoes, you have a decision to make, don't you, in terms of what do I do here? Because to progress as a team, 
I need someone that's more lethal than a 12.7% conversion rate guy. In this kind of game. And, uh, yeah, yeah and, I, and I don't want... To, but, but I also don't want to disrupt the, the chemistry. I think that he will be looking to upgrade the centre-forward position in the summer, no matter what happens now, because you can't have your striker. For a team as brilliant as Liverpool... You can't have your striker not scoring at home all season. It's it's, it's crazy, really. Mm. Do you think that Atletico will be stronger than as in the first leg? You know, you've got Yao Felix back, Kieran Trippier. Mm-hmm. By the way, Spurs actually letting go too soon. Right. <coughs> I mean, there's a there's a whole section on what things <laughs> what was happening at Spurs. Well, I'm that's sure, coming later. I'm sure that's right? waiting for me. Yeah. Right, um, look, great move for Trippier, wasn't I, it? I look, I I like Kieran Trippier the person. Mm. I. I mean, I, I look at it from that perspective. What an opportunity for him and what I don't want to experience. Good for him. I'm, I'm glad it's going really well. Tottenham, realistically, one player isn't making a difference there. So, yes, it was probably a mistake. It was premature. But, you know, you know on the great list of mistakes, it's, it's probably not even in the top five <laughs> at the moment. One thing I'll say about him, traditionally, he's had a really difficult time at Anfield against some of those players. He did when he was at Spurs. I don't know whether that was a systemic problem or whether that was about him. But Mane has caused him all sorts of issues in the past, so that's, that's something clear. Yeah, on the plus side, if you're looking at this from a tactical point of view, the full-back's hugely important, yeah. of course, we know, to Liverpool. Robertson's going to be back for Yeah, the probably not in, in the peak form at the moment, but on a night like this, it wouldn't surprise you if they, if they came back. One thing Atletico do very well, and I think we saw that in the first leg, their wide midfielders have always been tremendously athletic yeah. and quick to shunt across and to slow down... Mm. Liverpool's play or, or opponents' play, and and that's another factor as to why I think they've got a great shot now of of, of causing an upset. Mm. But you know, Simeone has talked about this as a transitional season because they had yeah, quite right, a big right. turnover in the summer. Yeah. We always probably overemphasise the importance of the coach, head coaches, or managers. Give me a read on the respective strengths of Klopp and Simeone. Klopp's probably self-evident. There's a Messiah-like quality to him. I'm not sure whether this would be the most popular thing to say, but I, I think there's a, I think that's constructed to an extent. I think Jurgen Klopp is far smarter than people realise in, in the sense of what he's created and what he has built himself into. I'm not saying it's insincere, but he hits all the right notes all the time. And good for him. That's part of modern management. It's very, very clever. It's what a lot of his contemporaries fail to do. Simeone is kind of, the great pirate of European football, isn't he? <laughs> pirate. Um, you see him in a pirate's outfit, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's, that, he has that quality. There's a, there's a roguishness to him. I think at times, I think at times that image detracts from just w- what a fine technical manager he is because you can talk about work rate and there's a very interesting story to read about um, uh, his fitness, his conditioning coach. He's a former rugby coach called, uh, I forget his first name, Professor Ortega. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Professor, if I've forgotten your first name. Um, but that defence, that original defence, which is, that's really the part that's on uh, transition now, was a, a work of art. Uh, it, was, it was kind of it was reminiscent of something that Jose Mourinho might have created 15 years ago, for instance. Attacking-wise, I don't know what Simeone is outside of Atletico Madrid because there's such synergy between, I don't want to say brands, because it's such a horrible mm. modern footballism, but essentially, yes, because... They are two underdogs, and that has worked so, so well. And they've even a really good Roy Smith piece in the New York Times about this, about how, because he's been so successful, the challenge for him now is not replacing players, it's replacing mentality, because they've been so good as an underdog that they're not really an underdog anymore. When the underdog becomes 
part of the aristocracy. Mm. How do you react to that tonally? And I think that's what the next question is for him, which is, it's going to be fascinating to find yeah. out. Oh, yeah, two, good, two great coaches. I, I see Klopp as the great enforcer. So his teams enforce their will on others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that they have their way, whereas Simeone, I would say, is the great, great stopper. Yeah. He's, he's the one who can, who can handle that probably better than any other coach. But, but yeah, that's what makes it a great matchup. Mm. You're off to Germany, Seb, for the Leipzig Spurs game. Is this Jose's last stand? <laughs> <laughs> In the general cast of Senso. <laughs> no, I. I Why the documentary uh, makers di- di- dictate this? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just, I, you know, can we turn the cameras and the microphones off for a little bit? I don't. I don't know what I'm watching. I, I, I feel I'm heading out there, and I'm more excited about the fine collection of churches and cathedrals and buildings in Leipzig. And Berlin is supposed to be lovely, and I'm, I'm spending a day there as well. I, I don't know what I, what to. I mean, he made a, Jose Mourinho made a comment last week about how he um, would probably de-emphasise one of these competitions, either, mm. either in the, the team selection for the Burnley game or Leipzig. I think that was for show. I don't think <clears throat> he's been having secret meetings with Daniel Levy and discussing this. I just, it's left me with a very odd feeling because obviously you should be heading to a ground like Leipzig thinking, right, let's, let's, let's turn this round. But in my mind, both from a writing and supporting perspective, I think, well, what's really the point? Because this team can't beat anyone. Like, even if the stars align and somehow they scrape parts of Leipzig, who are really in uncharted territory, so that might be to Spurs' advantage. I mean, the next good team they play is just... I mean, that's, I, I don't want to see that, really. I mean, it's like seeing you know, your relative thrown to the lines. I mean, it's not... So I, I don't know what this is. I don't know where Tottenham are heading under Jose Mourinho. I don't, I don't think that's his fault. I mean, there are issues that I would take umbrage with, but it's just a mess. Yeah. It's a horrible mess. But we've seen this movie before, haven't we? <laughs> you know, throwing players under the bus. He started with Ndombele on, on the, the weekend. As a player yourself, mm. what is the impact of that type of really overt, cruel criticism in the dressing room? I do feel it's damaging. I, do, I feel that the modern player is certainly more mentally fragile than, than they were 20, 30 years ago, which, which emphasises the, the, the issue even more. I thought it was a bit scandalous, really, on Ndombele. It's not the first time he had an attack on him. If you cast your mind back, I think he questioned his fitness. He doesn't fancy issues. him, does he, obviously? Well, no, I just feel that if a manager doesn't fancy you, then, then just leave them out of the team and sell them. If I'm Ndombele today, I'm straight on the phone to my agent to say, get me out of here. Or if he's smart, he was sit- he Actually, do you know what? I think Ndombele should just sit tight. Sit tight. He's a good player. He, we we saw that last year. He's a He's a, he's a really he's good central midfield player yeah. that, that can be a success in the Premier League, can be a fan's favourite at Tottenham Hotspur. Sit tight. If you have to go back to, you know, sitting in the stands, training on your own, do it. Because I think he'll outlaw, he'll outlast Jose Mourinho, and and then he he has every chance of coming to the fore at that club, because I don't think that criticism was fair. Mm. Can I can I add a, another side of that? Like I think one of Ndombélé's problems is that he's he has this kind of pairing with Giovanni Lothelso, mm. who's coming over the mm. summer. On the one hand, I partly agree with what Adrian said. When I've watched Lothelso, the way he's applied himself in English mm. football has been amazing. Mm. I mean, he's fabulously gifted too, mm. but he has worked as hard as I've ever seen a, uh, a new signing work mm. for Tottenham. And Dembele, I don't know why, and I've written about this and I still don't know, and I've, I've researched his youth career and, and 
the same words come up again and again about complacency and right. attitude and indifference. And there even there's a, a really good Dave Heitner piece from July where he he talks to former coaches and and these themes are not new. And so part of if, me, if that's the case though, he is Tottenham's record signing. At I know what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. Why aren't you doing well, your due diligence? This is it. This is well. It becomes a question about the depth of your sign, depth of your scouting. But Jose Mourinho, he inherited this player, mm -hmm. and I agree he's been harsh. But at the same time, part of me thinks he kind of deserves it mm. because I, I'm not accusing him of being a lazy mm. player or being idle. But there's something fundamentally wrong. His approach to forging a new career in a new country. Mm. Maybe there's a hidden issue, but it's not right, and it's mm. it's very apparent to, to everyone. Is it not, though, a case of managers having favourites and managers filling guys like Lascelles are maybe a bit more confident? We're all different. We're all made differently. And Mourinho's style is obviously maybe more suited to... style of management is maybe more suited to Lascelles. But if you've got a great, a real asset, a real talent in Ndombele, then you just have to come at it slightly differently, don't you? And, and try and fill that player with a bit more confidence. I mean, he was signed because... He was, he was absolutely knocking it out of the park, not just mm -hmm. domestically, but in the Champions League. So clearly he's good enough, despite that, that possible... Oh, he's unquestionably good enough. He yeah. is, he's a, this guy should be playing for Real Madrid in five years' time. He is that talented. He's, he's one of the most unusual midfielder players I've ever seen. I think the issue becomes this side as a whole. Jose Mourinho is managing a team which is so full of flaws yeah. and has so many problems that you see this wonderfully talented footballer and you think... You've got to be part of getting us through this this process. We are trying to hang on to something. Is there kind of dying of the light? Sorry. All right, who would you rather ditch, Mourinho or Ndombele? Right now? Oh, it's uh, Ndombele, probably. Really? Yeah, because it, 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 he is... I have no doubt that if, if Tottenham were to sell him tomorrow, he would go on to have a very, very fine career somewhere at a club where you could perhaps bank him into a midfield with players that do things that he perhaps doesn't want to do. At Tottenham, that luxury doesn't exist. And they're probably not going to be in the Champions League next season. So you don't have the option of, of, of designing a team around what looks, at the moment, like a luxury item. It's, it's really hard. I, I, don't, I don't fully understand the situation. I don't, I don't have an answer for it. It's just, it's maddening to see. And so I feel Jose Mourinho's frustration. I'm not, as anybody familiar with Is there with a sense this, of impermanence there? With Mourinho? Yeah, he's got a long-term contract, but I've yet to meet anyone who expects him to fulfil it. No, I mean, I, in two senses, Mike, because... Firstly, that is Jason Mourinho's past. We have this expectation of his cycle, which I think is very fair because what else are you to judge him on? But also like the synergies between him and Tottenham, between what he has been and what Tottenham are and will continue to be as a club financially, they don't really exist. And so I'm happy to be proven wrong, but it's very difficult to see him becoming a sort of you know, a dynastic figure or even, you know, if he's there in five years, I'll be staggered. If he's there in three, I'll be amazed. There's a real contrast between Mourinho, who is increasingly being depicted as yesterday's man, mm. and Nagelsmann. Yeah. yeah. Given the nature of the Premier League, would a Nagelsmann-type figure get a top Premier League job at the age of 32? <laughs> It's a good question. I don't see why not. I really don't. Uh, German football seems seems more liberated in that sense, doesn't it? We see it with their use of young players, mm -hmm. your Sancho's and whatnot at Dortmund. They've done the same with with the bright young coaches. And to this interesting, point. they're yeah. looking at get, taking Bellingham. Yeah, and and look, I wouldn't blame him. I, I think that would be He's a better brilliant. move, a, a better move for him than going to Man United, for for example, because you you know he'd get more opportunities. But yeah, I. I 
I'd love to see a Premier League team take a chance on on Nagelsmann, but but look, he's he's getting the right education at the moment, isn't he? In in German football, wow, what a job he's doing! I mean, they were delight to watch, weren't they? That first leg, so aggressive, loved it. Yeah. so so forward thinking, yeah. so quick to to just oh, it's it's a, yeah. yeah. He's the he's the next. Yeah. He's the next superstar coach, isn't yeah. he? I, th I think that much is, is clear. It's just where is his destination going to be? So, yeah, look, if, it, if he can complete the job against Spurs, then that's another, um, you know, tick on his CV. Yeah, we're going to... This isn't the last we're going to hear of Nagelsmann. I'd love to see him come to England. Let's look, if we could, Seb, at the German influence on this season's Champions League. Yeah. Borussia Dortmund, it's just been announced that the, the game at PSG is going to be played behind closed doors. Yeah. They kept up the, the pressure in the Bundesliga, you know, winning you know, the local derby against um, Mönchengladbach at the weekend. They've got some of the great young players that we've seen. Haaland. Claudio Reyna's son. Yeah, yeah. who is yeah. 17 and just going to yeah. knock it out of the park. Why are we seeing that consistency of purpose and intensity of purpose in the top, say, top three or four Bundesliga teams? Uh, I don't think it's any one factor, but the, the, the one thing that, I, that really grabs me is the kind of the primacy of ideas in German football. Now, if it's a comparison between the Bundesliga and the Premier League, I think the Premier League has become bloated by its own financial success. I think that the mentality which exists at the top of the league is this idea that whatever happens, you can buy your way back to your equilibrium. Whereas I think Dortmund are a, a, an interesting example because I think there's, a, there's such emphasis on getting things right at source because you cannot make a 60, 80 million pound mistake if you're Borussia Dortmund, because that is, a, that is a generational error which changes your trajectory potentially for five or 10 years. And so there's this, I mean, I, I would never call myself a, a Bundesliga expert, I mean, that's far from it as possible to be, but whatever I read, I, I, I find themes like alignment and collective thinking, which makes sense. And we, we touched on this with, 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 with Jude Bellingham, so I keep prodding you. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I had a coffee about half an hour before oh, we started. Week, I'm really, so, I'm really week, sorry. So, come on. Keep my hands to myself. I'm, I'm so sorry, Adrian. Um, but you, you, you so that, that Jude Bellingham situation, okay, so you've got Jaden Sancho, you're about to make an enormous profit on him, and you're going to plug in a player from the same country because you've created this little pathway. You've created this sense for very gifted, talented young players, that that is the place to be. Mm. Now, that doesn't really happen in English football. It, there, there are pockets where it perhaps does. Maybe Frank Lampard's Chelsea evolved to be that in the future. I don't know. It's as if, like, to use a, a very trite analogy, it's as if German football clubs know when to pause for thought. Not to say, right, we'll have him for £15 million pounds and him for 40 I mean, we, we, we spent a long time over the last few years celebrating Manchester City's rise and what they've able to been, been able to produce at a football club, as a football club. Okay, but how much have they spent on centre-halves who have proven to be really not that good? How much money has been wasted in the pursuit of one or two positions? They've got problems at left-back. They've got problems in deep midfield. They're still reliant on a player that's nearly as old as I am. You know, it, it, these little things sort of don't exist as much in Borussia Dortmund. As a result, yes, you, you have your down cycles and your rebuilds and your resets, but it's not as bloated. I think that's, that's what yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Do you think Manchester City have got to win the Champions League to make this a successful season? Um. No, I think if they would do the domestic cup double, that's that's a that's a reasonable success. You put two two pots in the cabinet. Are they meant to be bigger uh, than that though? Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just don't see them winning the Champions League. I just don't. I, I, yeah, probably. You know, been on this this show many times this year and in previous seasons, and and I've been very consistent on it. And 
I, I firmly believe it that you need a better defence to win the Champions League, yeah. and and I think at the very highest echelon of the game, Man City are not good enough without the ball, and 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 that's been the case ever since Pep came, and it's still the case today. So they're going to need an almighty amount of good fortune, I think, to to win it this year. It was brilliant in Real Madrid, and and, and hats off to them. It was a outstanding performance from the players and from the coach. But are they capable of repeating that in the last eight, in the last four, in the final itself? I, I'm just not convinced. Because Madrid are in the middle of a, a wobble, aren't they? They've only won one in five, which actually had to, you know, was against Barcelona. But both Barcelona and Real Madrid are showing signs of vulnerability. It's not going to be Spain's season, is it? I don't think so. I mean, they're, they're two different problems. I mean, Real Madrid lost to Betis last night late. Barcelona is more of a political issue, which is kind of bleeding into the playing squad and the ideas that they used to be famous for have been diluted. Real Madrid, I don't know. It's a really hard issue to diagnose. It's as if <clears throat> I, I find, for instance, if you look back at that Manchester City game, I found Marcelo starting quite strange. It was almost as if Zidane had a little bit too much faith in the, in the players that brought him his initial mm-hmm. burst of success. They haven't replaced Cristiano Ronaldo, which is a very ridic- a ridiculous criticism because how do you replace a player like that? But they haven't really thought their way around that problem. Like You see little bits in Rodrigo and Vinicius and you know, still don't really seem to know what they're doing with either Isco or Gareth Bale. Midfield, I like Valverde, but you're about to lose Cruz and Modric in the same year. That's worrying. Mm-hmm. I don't think... It's, it's pretty much what we just said about German football. I don't think the ideas are quite there at Real Madrid. Given who their president is, there is one central idea about how to mm. how to how to evolve as a football club, but it doesn't no, it doesn't suggest they're on the verge of another kind of decadent era. Mm. So no, not Spain's year, I don't think. Mm. Where does defeat in the Manchester derby leave City? Well That's the first time that, that that double's been done by United for yeah, ten years. It's a slight embarrassment, isn't it? I yeah. I think the, the the wider issue is they've been beaten three times now by Manchester United this season. With the same game plan. Yeah. Now, if that happens with a less recognisable coach, you would point the finger, wouldn't you? And you'd mm. say, hang on, you've had three goes at it. <laughs> well, why, how come you didn't learn from the first time into the second time, from the second time into the third time? So, so I, don't think, I do think that Pep has... He's always been stubborn, hasn't he? We know that. <laughs> uh, it is his way, and if it doesn't work, we saw that in the game against United. They, they, they ran out of ideas, didn't they? So, so yeah, I think that's a problem, as is the, 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 the lack of real quality at the, at the back end of their pitch. Man City's defence isn't, isn't a patch, is it, on their midfield and forward line? On the ball, when they're at their free-flowing best, they can, they can outplay any team in Europe, but... When they lose it, I think they're as vulnerable as anyone left in the last 16. And, and for that reason, although I think, think they'll go through here, I don't, I don't see them winning it. Mm. With Manchester United, we, let's be honest, we've given Oli Gunnar Solskjaer quite a bit of tap this season. Is it, <laughs> for yourself, Mike. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Is it time for us to actually put our hands up and give him the credit that obviously this 10-match run... No, not really. Suggests he deserves. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think... You're a hard man, Seb. Yeah, I've got, got a cold heart, but I... <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we can applaud certain moments, but Adrian's just touched on it. Like, they've beaten Manchester City three times the same game plan. Like, being a sit-and-counter team is not a very Manchester United trait. It's not a Manchester United trait when you also when you spend as much as they have to fund this project. 
I think he is becoming less deserving of criticism, mm. but that criticism still exists. Like it's kind of, it's very premature to forget all the issues that we had with Oli Solskjaer and that his CV doesn't warrant this job. How much of this performance is performance? How many of these performances are about him? How many are being authored by his backroom staff? We don't know enough about. We don't, there isn't a enough of an identity to say this is your guy for five years. This is this this is who I want to put Manchester United sizes, sized resources behind because it's there's no tangible success yet. It's just an improvement on what was fairly... It's a bit harsh, because if you think of it, you know, (laughs) they have had... This run is 10 games unbeaten, eight clean sheets, 13 different scorers. Yeah. You can't do too much more than that. I think think he deserves more respect, and I'll tell you why. If if (laughs) Nagelsmann had been in charge of Manchester United this season and won against Pep three times and won at Chelsea and won a number of really difficult away games, in the big games against top six rivals. Manchester United's results have been incredible this season. If, if someone like Nagelsmann had come in and done that in his first season, we'd be, we'd be lavishing him with praise, no. saying he's one of the best tacticians out there. Mm. I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the finished article. I don't think he's the greatest manager of all time, but I certainly don't think he's worthy of ridicule. And I don't think he's done badly enough to warrant the axe. I genuinely don't. You... That I agree with. That I agree with. What, what I'll say, though, is that United have had this trait. During their malaise, they've had the ability to win these games one-off against really big sides, where, where you, they, they are the coupon-busting team. But he's building, a, he's building the platform mm. for these results, and he's building it on a, on a clear identity. You know what Manchester United are under, Oli. I'm not sure I do. I... I, I no, I, I don't agree, because I, 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 I grew up with Manchester United as a... Yeah, but um, they've gone, haven't they? Yeah, but I think that's still their ambition is to be the protagonist in games, and I still see them as, as kind of subservient. Maybe this is the kind of the past working against my, my better judgment, but it's such an odd dynamic to see Man United, Old Trafford operating on like eighteen percent possession when against Man City. I, I smart management. If, if, if you, it is, but Mourinho be the... managed this a few weeks ago, Adrian. It's like it's if this Tottenham team can beat Man City, yeah. I'm not and a Man City who. I would suggest have a few mental issues in terms of their approach in the Premier League because they know they're done, really. Mm. I want to see this Manchester United team metronomically knock over the small teams mm. for months and months and months because ultimately they're, they're also a side that can go out in January and, and spend 60 million quid on a, on, a, on a new playmaker. And that's, that's great. That's a strength that they've earned. But if, if someone like Nagelsmann or you know, even Pochettini, he's out there somewhere, if they're available... Is, Never going to get a job, is he? He's, 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 he's going to be this perpetual theory now. <laughs> but I, I just wonder, like, am I willing, if I'm Man United, to say, I'm not even interested in these guys, these, these, these idologues, these high priests of European football, because I've got my guy now. I'm not saying that point will never arrive. I just mean, for me, that's not a point where I'm at with him. They have had, if you look at, for different reasons, yeah. the, the, the last two signings, Fernandez and Nigala... Mm. Have God, made he's, been great. he's been great. Well, he has. <laughs> and there is an innocence about that story. There's a feel-good factor, yeah. which, given everything that was swirling around Solskjaer and the club itself, was probably the, the, the injection of innocence it needed. Yes, but, yeah, you have to say January business was fantastic. Business in general under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been good. Much better. He's, he has identified the right type of players. And, and the reason that I think he, he deserves more credit is that he has organised the defence better. He has turned Luke Shaw into a pretty decent left side of centre-half. He has encouraged Wan-Bissaka 
to, to be more than just a long-legged defender that sticks his leg he's out. He's really improved going he, forward. He's encouraged him to go yeah. forward and, and improve. He's used Bruno Fernandes in the right position. Fred, whether it's down to Fred as an individual or whether it's the coaching or, or whatnot, he's, he's, he's extracted much more from Fred. Anthony Martial suddenly looks like a striker. I, he's using split strikers, which I think is a really unusual thing to do, but it works perfectly for James, for Martial. For, for Rashford when he's fit, even for Mason Greenwood. I think he's with the players that he's got, he's doing exactly the right thing. And if I was in charge of Manchester United, and I'm not, you know, I'm not qualified, I don't have the coaching badges, but, but if I was in charge of Manchester United, I would play exactly the same way as he is playing. They're not good enough to, to, to take the game to City and, and outpass them. He, I think he's doing a really, really good job. Mm, they, the next game is in Austria against LASK on Thursday in the Europa League. Are they capable of winning that? The Europa League or the yeah. tie? Absolutely. They've, they've certainly got the players to do so. I'd still actually make Wolves my favourite for the Europa yeah, League. Yeah. I really, really like where they're, where they're looking at the moment. No, they should certainly win, win that game. Um, LASK are actually top of the uh, Bundesliga, the Austrian Bundesliga, ahead of, ahead of everyone's favourite, RB Salzburg. But, yeah, no, they... I, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting because with that result over City, suddenly finishing inside the top four slash five yeah. with an asterisk, that's suddenly achievable for United. So you have this kind of split priority situation, which, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they handle that, but they've certainly got the ability and the talent to, to win the Europa League. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wolves, yeah. As, as you said, you, you, you wrote a, a, an in-depth piece on, on Wolves, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Olympiacos. Yes. Uh, you saw them against Arsenal. Did, yeah. Beatable. Oh, very beatable, yeah. Arsenal were really poor in the second leg. In, in the first leg, I was really disappointed, actually, with Olympiacos. I thought, aside from the first 20, where they, they turned Arsenal and caused a few issues, they didn't really open them up. Yeah. And I felt, well, I, I was complacent as, as someone that follows Arsenal. I thought, well, Arsenal will be through here. So, no, I, I think, unless, unless they dramatically improve, I think Wolves will see them off over two legs. I think that's going to be played behind closed doors yep. potentially mm. as well, which is, I think, in Wolves' favour because it, it is a hostile place mm. and, and that, is a, that is a big job. For an inexperienced side in Europe, going to Olympiacos is tough. Mm. Arsenal are very experienced in Europe. They, they knew Fans will be camped outside the hotel. To expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they will. And now, I, 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 look, if Arsenal had remained in it, I, I think the worst draw possible for them would have been Wolves. So, so on that basis, I think they've got a great shot at winning it. And I do think psychologically, United will now feel top five, top four is 100% achieved. Definitely there for them. Yeah. Them. Wolves, even though they're in just as good a position, I think because they've never done it, they will maybe still see themselves as underdogs, thereby place more emphasis on the, on the Europa League. So, um, so yeah, yeah I, th I think both teams will go through. Mm. What particularly impresses you about Wolves? The way they're constructed and have been put together. I think, I think when, when, the, when the project began, uh, it was presented to people as this sort of, as something that would be hung on individual footballers. And when people like Ruben Neves and Diego Jota arrived, that, that was certainly an impression. But that's not really the way they play. They don't have these individual dependencies. So when you watch them, you, you're attracted to the details. So for instance, the way that Jota works in tandem with Raul Jimenez or the way those wingbacks play or that slight oddity in their, in their defence where uh, Conor Cody is that much deeper than pretty much you'll see any other centre-half in the league. Actually, a statistic that supports that about how he's, he's had more touches in his own box than any other Premier League defender by you know, about 20 or 30 or something. Mm. And so over time, I, I try and go to Molyneux as much as possible just because I, 
I, I love watching football there, but I love watching that team and, and the way that it isn't really, this is going to sound a bit trite, but it's, it's not like watching 11 footballers. It's like watching this kind of singular organism and the way it adapts and adjusts. And there are flaws. They don't start games well enough. They don't always beat opponents at home that they should definitely beat. They should have been Brighton over the weekend, definitely. But I'm just full of admiration for the way it's been built. And also, Wolves was always presented as a holding pen for really talented, guest clients who were going to be sold on higher up the game. In reality, there's no noise from this club. There's no melodrama. After that first season, when quite a few of those players made their names, uh, names they didn't have when they were back in the championship, there was no melodrama. There was no, like, well, right, it's now my time to go and play for Chelsea or Manchester City or, or Atletico Madrid. There hasn't been that. And so it speaks really highly of everyone involved because they've brought the right players, but that's not actually very difficult. Identifying the right footballer and the right amount of talent is not hard. What's hard is getting the right people. And they've done that. And I just, I love watching the little things. Like you, after games, you see like Rui Patricio on the pitch with his little son and, and the, the Portuguese. There's um, a really good Stuart James uh, interview with Neves and Yota from a few years ago where they're talking about their favourite coffee shops in Wolverhampton. And it's just, they've got the right people for the situation. Because it's not like Wolverhampton's a mecca for millionaires, is it? But they've managed, <laughs> it's worked and just everything, it just makes sense. It's yeah. logical. Very quickly, I, I just think that even though different shapes, different managers, different styles, I think Simeone, when I see Nuno, in terms of mm. structure, mm. Every, the team, everyone knows their job and they're brilliant at stopping the opposition. Yeah. And it is all about the team. Yeah, I think, I think Nuno's a very special yeah. coach. I really do. And I have to say that the centre-half, and this, is, this goes back to the, the point that you've just made, Willy Bolly, I think, is the most underrated centre-back in the division, possibly around Europe at the moment. I think he could slot into any of the big six teams and improve them. I think he's a, a superb, Great shot. superb player, Willy Bolly. And the fact that, that no one raves about him is un, unfortunate for him. It's probably his age. Yeah, I thought. He's in his late 20s. Yeah, now, exactly. He? So it's probably... Yeah, I suppose it, maybe his shot, shot has gone at the, at the true big time. But, but, but yeah, he, he is sensational. If you see Simeone when you see Nuno, yeah. who do you see when you see Mikel Arteta? <laughs> Oh, good question. Well, a bit of Pep, uh, definitely a bit of Pep, with the with the rotational movement that that he's brought in, the confidence he's given the players to express themselves. They've not been brilliant, I have to say. In in recent games, Arsenal have have not been outstanding. They're unbeaten in eight in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. So, but what you have to take into account when judging Mikel Arteta so far is the mess that they were in prior to his arrival. There's a team that were on their knees, confidence-wise. I mean, under Freddie Lundberg. It, it was it, the football was so poor, and, and prior to that, tactically under Unai they'd gone. So, so he he has made real improvements. Yeah, the rotational movement's great. You've got Saka pushing on with Xhaka coming to left back with Saka pushing on with Aubameyang slotting seamlessly in as a second striker. It's happening all the time within games, and and opponents are a little bit flummoxed by that. Yeah, li little nuances of Pepper are shining through. But they're definitely a work in progress. And, and I have to say, until he has a budget to bring in the players that he wants, I don't think it would be fair to, to judge Mikel Arteta. His Arsenal team will be built on athleticism as much as it would that 
the controlled football. Mm. And and right now, I don't think he has the personnel to to, to press and to play with the, the vibrancy that he wants. So we're seeing a, 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 almost a watered down version of what he wants right now because he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the players. Mm. Let's look across London at Chelsea. Again, that is a feel-good story. Frank Lampard has had his problems, came back with that absolute hammering of, of yeah. Everton. I think it's eight academy products given their debuts in the Premier League this year. Two more yesterday. Yeah. 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 Uh, it could even be nine then. Billy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a player. Gilmore mania. It's always such a, a fun moment, isn't it, when a new player arrives like that? I mean, I, I'm not really interested in what he's going to be. I just like watching him at the moment. I just think he's... It's just a simple thing. He likes the ball. He wants the ball. He's not sort of. He's not one of those players that steps on a Premier League pitch and thinks, right, just get through 60 minutes, play simple passes. He wants to influence the game. Like he's. He's. Everton were especially bad on Sunday. They were absolutely dreadful. But the way he just slips the ball through midfield and cuts lines, and it's just he makes the game look so easy. It's such a such a pleasure to watch a footballer like that. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, you know, Barcelona. They, there's a, their best scout had, had seen the potential in Gilmore three or four years ago, where when he was at Rangers, he used to make special trips over to watch him in Scotland. He used to, when there were indoor tournaments, he would go and watch him play right. and was absolutely bang on that Barcelona should get him. Right. When you've got that level of expertise, you know, he, he was literally mentioning in the same breath as Iniesta. Right. It's kind of, it goes back to what we said about Barcelona earlier. There's a little snippet of some of the dysfunction of that club, but yeah, there's no high praise. Yeah. Uh, it's a, he's, he, he just looks so normal. He's like someone you could play, play against on a park. He looks 13, doesn't he? He does, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of great. It's, it's but, but he's but... telling people what to do. Oh, no, yeah, no. He's, yeah. he's having fun. He's having the time of his life. It's a joy to watch. Yeah. And, and do you know what? I think that the inclusion of, of brilliant young players lifts senior players as well. Yeah, it great. gives them that, that renewed energy. And it keeps them on their toes mm. as well. And what I think it's done to Chelsea already, just in the last two games, it's uh, sped up their yeah. style of play incredibly. And when you've got... That was the problem. They were just a little that bit too so predictable. Yeah. They, they had a lot of the ball who were struggling to break teams down. It's like he's pressed the times two speed button, Billy Gilmore, and suddenly the likes of Willian and, and, and Mount are, are getting the ball with that bit that bit sooner. Mount's playing ever yeah. so well. They're getting the ball with that bit sooner in more space where they can go and hurt teams. So, it's, I have to say, Jorginho, he's got a fight in his hands. Well, that's, that's the point. Would you keep Gilmore in the team? Well, yeah, I mean, I, we've got a bias <laughs> because I'm more interested in watching him play than I am Jorginho. I think Jorginho is a little bit of an ornament. I think he's an attractive footballer to watch. He does a lot of pointing and makes a lot of faces and he can play a nice pass, but... Do you win anything with him? Mm. I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I think there's a little bit of an agenda around him and a little bit of a narrative, but I, there's, there's something about him which I don't trust without the ball. I can I say this from, from personal experience as well. It's easy to shine for, for three or four games. OK. But, but over the... You, you, there's, a, there's an adrenaline about... It's not biased, of course. It'll be analysed yeah, to death as well. Of course, well, and it's how you handle what goes on. Yeah. Suddenly, everyone wants to talk to him, his family, you know, be inundated with requests. You don't know how it will affect him. Yeah, he, he may lose a bit of drive. I he hope may not. make a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Know, it's how you react that. to that mistake, yeah, a high-profile yeah. mistake. And uh, defensively, obviously so far so good, fantastic. But if he can prove himself to be 
a proper defensive midfielder as well as, as this as this great conduit, then they've really got a player on their hands because Jorginho is a huge weak link for Chelsea in terms of his speed. When they lose the ball, you've got to target Jorginho. You have to, especially with no contact. So, so, so yeah, we'll find out more about Gilmore over the coming weeks. I can't see Lampard dropping him. I'm not yet. No, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's sort of almost against... Lampard's ideology, like because he, to be what Frank Lampard wants to be, you kind of have to give him this extended opportunity because the dynamics, the optics of just saying, right, back in you go, Jorginho, despite being fairly a fairly antagonistic uh, mm. figure towards the fans, I don't think you can do it. Yeah, yeah, we've got the finish on, you know, a potential, a serious issue you know, for the nation, let alone yeah. the sport of football, coronavirus, and what the impact it will have on the game. Are you pretty much resigned, Aid, to games being played behind closed doors? Could we see yeah. Liverpool who need two wins for the title yeah. end their 30-year wait for the title in an empty stadium? It would be so sad, wouldn't it, if that was to, to happen. You do feel as if we're heading in that direction. And, and look, I think we all have to just bow to, to the experts on this and if that's the right thing to do, we'll do it. But for, from a sporting perspective, it feels like it would be a real shame and, and almost a futile exercise because unless we're all locked up, <laughs> like we're all going to mix with each other, we're all going to travel to work and back, you're going to be in groups of people. Selfishly, because I love sport and I, and I, and I don't want to see empty stadiums, I, I think it, it feels like it would be more of a gesture than a, an effective process to, to close stadiums. But, but, but let, watch this space. I just, I would hate to see it. I really would, but it feels like we're heading that way. It will also have huge financial repercussions for clubs, wouldn't it? I'd have thought so, and I'd thought, I'd think probably that's what hasn't happened already. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm heading out to, to Germany this evening, and uh, there's talk of, of Tottenham's game with Leipzig happening behind closed doors, and I don't know what happens to all the money that's been spent by fans on tickets and travel and hotels and trains and all that kind of thing. So I, I don't know, but it, as, as Adrian said, it's. Like it's kind of incidental with people's lives at risk and, you know, it's got to be, um, you know, health has got to take precedence and, and people's safety. And, it's, and, and the, the other thing is, is when will they reopen them? Or, you know, yeah. what stage do we have to get? Are we get it, it, yeah, it's, it's a real mess. And I feel for the power, powers that be because it's an awkward situation. They don't want to close stadiums. But I guess the, the government will eventually uh, have the final say. Mm. Well, football, of course, doesn't exist in a bubble. Perspective, people. Perspective. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.